Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 1, verse 19. James chapter 1, verse 19. Or you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app. And uh, while you're getting to James chapter 1, I uh, kind of want to lay out a roadmap for you of what we're going to be uh, going through the next few months. Uh, next week, Cody's going to come and wrap up this series on how to study the Bible. And uh, there's a reason why we've been talking about this, because uh, starting in February, we are going to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And over the next few months, uh, minus a few weeks leading up to Easter, we are going to go through the major themes and events in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And... Uh, we're going to spend some time going through the books of the law and uh, seeing the, the beginning and, and, you know, just looking at the big themes, the big events. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because this is where the homework comes in. Uh, some of you might have started a new plan to start the new year. And if you haven't, uh, I would encourage you, start reading through Genesis start reading through Genesis because, um, of course, we're going to look at events and stuff in its context, but it would be a good thing if you started reading and, you know, write questions, look at the text, observe the text. Uh, that way, when we go through these things, uh, you'll be familiar with it. So uh, that's really the reason why we're starting the year with this idea of how do we study the Bible? How do we read the Bible? How do we handle uh, the Word of God. And so that's why. Uh, just wanting you to uh, start looking at that, uh, starting in Genesis 1. Uh, but this morning, we are continuing our series on how to study the Bible, and we are going to uh, move to the letter A in our acronym SOAP. SOAP is the acronym we've been using for how to study the Bible. Week one, we talked about Scripture. Why is scripture so important in our lives? Why do we need scripture uh, each and every day? And uh, we know that it helps us to discern. It helps us to be on guard against false teaching. It uh, points us to Jesus. These are all things that are important and why we need scripture each and every day. Last week, we talked about the O, which is observation. And it's this idea of looking at the scriptures in its context and, and reading what it has to say and uh, remembering the word of God was written with our benefit, but it was written to a, a group of people in a certain time in a certain place. And we need to understand context. And really the reason for that is we need to make sure that we're not mishandling the word of God. We need to make sure that we're not pulling it apart and taking it out of context and twisting it and distorting it to make it fit what we want it to fit. And the problem is, is that too often today we see too many people who are distorting the word of God, twisting it, turning it, and using it uh, to fit their own context or their own idea or their, their wants, their desires for it. And so we need to pay attention in how we observe the Word of God. And so this morning we're continuing on with the letter A, and the letter A is application. Application. It's, you see, it's not just merely reading the Word, it's taking the Word and applying it in our lives. I think Charles Spurgeon hit the nail on the head when he said, we may be certain that whatever God has made prominent in His Word, He intended to be conspicuous 
in our lives. The things that God has made prominent in his word, the things that he tells us, these are the things that you should be doing. These are the things that you should be applying and living out in your life. These things should be present, should be clear in our lives. When people see us, they should see us living out what the word of God tells us to live out, right? We should be doing what the word of God says And I think the big thing that we need to understand this morning in regards to application is we do not just need to hear the word, but we need to apply the word in our life. Not just hear the word, but apply the word in our lives. And Tyndale House Publishers, their uh, publishing company that publishes a lot of uh, Christian resources, and they are the uh, main publisher, I believe, of the New Living Translation of Scripture. And on their website, they say this. It says, while it is excellent to read through the Bible, to study it, and to memorize it, the truth of God's Word must also sink in. We must apply what we learn to our lives. It's not the way we mark our Bibles that's important, but the way our Bibles mark us. What we meditate on must affect the way that we live. And we have to be people who hear the word of God and then take the word of God and apply it to our lives and let it direct us, let it affect how we live each and every day. And in James chapter 1, 19 through 27, James is going to remind us of this. James is writing this letter to encourage uh, the believers, encourage them. In chapter 1, he starts by talking about trials and temptations and how do you go through these things and how do you uh, persevere through these things. It's just an idea of encouragement. And one of the things that he's going to encourage the people is not just merely hearing the word, but living the word out. And so we're going to start in verse 19, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 21 first. And this is what it says. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And so he starts off by saying, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. James is identifying with his audience. My brothers, my sisters in the faith, take note of this. This phrase, take note of this, it means know this. Know this, that what I'm about to say to you is important. Know this, that the words I'm about to speak, the message that's going to be proclaimed to you, this is important. You should take these things and apply them. These things are important to know. And he starts by saying, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Verse 19 is something that a lot of people, it's a verse that a lot of people have heard. Even people who aren't believers have heard this verse out in the, out in the wild. And it's uh, you know, a very common thing that we've heard. This idea of being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So what does he mean? Be quick to listen. Now I think you could probably look at this and you could probably take it in a, uh, with some general application. It's to uh, be quick to listen when people are trying to encourage you or tell you something that you need to hear. They're trying to build you up and sometimes you are willing to listen to something that will uh, maybe kick your butt a little bit that you need to hear but you have to be uh, 
quick to listen and not, you know, quick to jump in and say you're wrong or I don't think that's true. But I want you to take a look at something. Verse 22, James says, don't just hear the word. Matter of fact, in verse 18, it says, he chose to, gave us, or chose to give us birth through the word of truth. In verse 21, he says that we should humbly accept the word planted in us. When he says be quick to listen, what I think he's talking about here is be quick to listen to the word. Be quick to listen to the word, the word of God, the word that we have right now, either on your phone or in your hand, in your Bible, the word of God given to us. We need to be quick to listen to his word. And let's be honest, a lot of times when we're facing difficult situations or trials or temptations, our first thought isn't to go to the word, it's to try to figure out how to fix it on our own, right? I don't need that. I can, I can figure this out. I've got this. And we have two great resources, prayer and the word of God, and yet so often we choose not to listen to the word. And we need to be quick to listen to the word, the word of God spoken by the word. The word, Jesus Christ, the message proclaimed by Jesus Christ, the word of Jesus Christ. We need to be quick to listen to what God has to say. Romans ten seventeen reminds us, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. We need to be quick to listen to the word. Warren Wiersbe puts it like this, just as the servant is quick to hear his master's voice and the mother to hear her baby's smallest uh, Christ, so the believer should be quick to hear what God has to say. But again, too often we're not very quick to go to the Word and to listen to the Word. And a lot of times we're actually quick to say, surely the Word doesn't mean this. Surely the Word doesn't mean I can't do this. Surely the Word doesn't mean that I have to live this way. And I like what Alex Moiter once said about this. He said, We might wonder why the ever-practical James does not proceed to outline schemes of daily Bible reading or the like. For surely these are the ways in which we offer a willing ear to the voice of God. But he doesn't do that. Rather, he goes deeper. For, frankly, there is little point to schemes and times if we have not got an attentive spirit. It is possible to be unfailingly regular in Bible reading, but to achieve no more than to have moved the bookmark forward. The word is read, but never heard. Sometimes we are quick to read our Bibles just simply to check mark a box saying that we did our Bible reading for the day, but we don't really take the time to listen to the word of God, to reflect on the word of God, to study the word of God. And we need to be quick to listen to what God has to tell us through his word. And then he says we need to be slow to speak. And here is something to which we have such a great struggle, do we not? Slow to speak. We want to talk. We want to be heard. We live in a social media world where it is not impossible now to be heard. You may not feel comfortable speaking it out loud, but guess what? Now you can get on your phone or your, your keyboard and you can type out everything that you're feeling, all the things that you want to say. We just want to be heard. And sometimes the truth is we simply don't think before we speak, do we? It's like a quote I read the other day from a comedian. I always think before I speak. I always think, I think I'll speak now. We do this. 
We're not quick to, we're not, we're so quick to speak, we're not slow to speak. This is opposite of what Proverbs tells us. Proverbs 13.3, those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs 17.27-28 tells us the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. But you see, I think James has something a little more in mind here. You see, I don't think James is just simply saying, hey, you know, count to ten before you speak. No, I think James is saying what he's saying here because I think this is an important thing to him. A matter of fact, we'll see it again later in our text, and then again we'll see him in chapter 3 and I think what James is trying to get at is our words are important. The words that we speak come with great, they can carry great power. They can, you know, our words can build people up and our same words can tear people down. I think James wants us to be slow to speak because sometimes our words can heal and our words can hurt Matter of fact, I want to read what James says in James chapter 3, 1 through 12, because this really illuminates what he's trying to get at. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that, what we, or that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You see, the words that we speak can praise God and then the very next moment put other people down. Man, our words are more powerful than we give them credit for. And James is saying, hey, you need to be careful in your speech. So be slow to speak. Sometimes the best thing we can do is count to 10. Sometimes the thing that we need to do is think before we say what's on our mind, figure out how to articulate it in a way that is not just brash and and hateful and hurtful. We need to learn to be slow to speak. It'll help us to learn to control our tongues. And then he says that we need to be slow to anger. Along with being slow to speak, slow to anger is another struggle. I think we would all be honest. And you see, anger is something that happens in our life. And you might be thinking, are you going to tell me that I can't ever be angry? I'm a human. I get angry from time to time. It happens. And I understand that. We all have been angry at some points. 
You know, there is a thing that people say, this idea of righteous anger. And there is righteous anger. We see Jesus get angry at sin. We see Jesus get angry at what the people were doing to the temple. Ephesians 4, 26, Paul talks about uh, righteous anger. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. But let's be honest. How often is our anger righteous anger? How often are we just angry at the injustices we see? How often are we angry at sin? Or how often is our anger really human anger, not righteous anger? More often than not, we are quick-tempered, jumping right to being angry. You know, we don't just get hateful, angry, right? There's things that lead up to it, right? Brother David was talking to me this morning about it, and he brought up a good point. You know, sometimes there's little things that, that lead up to being angry. And that's why he tells us you can be slow to anger. You can learn to control your anger. But yet so many fights and arguments stem from quick tempers and going back to what we just talked about, poor words. And so we are to be slow to anger. Proverbs uses a word several times. It uses a word patience. In Proverbs 14, 29, it tells us whoever is patient has great understanding. But one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. And Proverbs 16, 32 tells us, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control, than one who takes a city. We have to be patient, learning how to control our anger, learning to not let it boil up and get to a point where it starts to, or we start to tear other people down because we are angry, or we make mistakes because we are angry. There's a reason for this. I think or there's a reason why we need to be careful with this, but before we get to that, I want to go back to one thing. I think there's a second reason, a second thing we get angry about. We get angry at others, but I think we also, looking at context of the word, I think sometimes we get angry at the word. It's true, we don't think about it very often, but sometimes we get angry at the word of God. Think about this. So many people rebel against the word of God because so many people do not want to hear that what they are doing is sin. So many people don't want to hear that the lifestyle they are living is sinful and they rebel and they get angry and they get frustrated with the word of God. And sometimes we do too. God, surely you don't mean this because I want to keep doing this. I don't like being told that I'm wrong. I don't want to be told that I'm doing these sinful things. And again, I love how Warren Wiersbe puts it. Like the man who broke the mirror because he disliked the image in it, people rebel against God's word because it tells the truth about them and their sinfulness. We get angry at the word of God. We get angry at others. We get angry at the word of God. So we need to be slow to our anger. So why? Why do we need to be slow to anger? Well, he tells us because human anger does not produce righteousness. It doesn't produce in us the righteousness that God desires from us. We are called to be righteous. We are called to live a a righteous life. We are called to take the word of God and the things that Jesus tells us to do. We are supposed to do those things and we are supposed to live a life of righteousness. But when we are angry, it doesn't allow us to produce that kind of righteousness. 
Our anger gets the best of us, and when it does, we don't produce the righteousness that we are called to produce. And so we must be slow to anger. And then he says this. He says, we're to get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. We're to get rid of moral evil filth. Get rid of it. Throw it away. Get rid of it. Don't carry it around anymore. We don't have to keep hold of that evil and that sinful lifestyle that we had lived in the past. We have to get rid of it. Throw it out. You know, just get rid of it. You know, I think of this in the sense of growing a garden. And trust me, I'm not good at growing gardens and all that, but I know a little bit from what I've been told. And I think the thing is, is when you plant a garden, you want to make sure you get the weeds out, right? Like if you say, hey, I'm going to take this soil and I'm just going to go ahead and start planting seeds, but I'm not going to do any of the work to make sure that the uh, seed grows, then it's going to turn out bad. You know, that's why Jesus says there's the seed planted next to the weeds, and guess what happens? The weed chokes out the seed. And so we have to get rid of If we're going to cultivate a heart that accepts the word, then we have to get rid of all of these things. And we can do that by confessing our sins before our Heavenly Father. We can go before our Father. We can confess our sins. And as 1 John 1, 9 reminds us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we need to get rid of these things. And instead, we need to accept the word that has been planted in us. And this word, this is the gospel. This is the words of Jesus Christ. This is the message that has been planted in us. And that's what James is telling the people. This is the same message you have heard, the gospel that you have heard. And we are to accept it with humility, with meekness, being submissive and obedient to it. We have to do what it says. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But we need to accept the word of God that's been planted in us, and it's been planted in us for a long time. If you've grown up in your life in church, maybe started out in uh, children's church and worked your way up, that word of God that's been planted in your heart, accept it, be submissive and obedient to it. And so he continues on in verses 22 through 25, and he says this, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So here we are, the part that we really get into this idea of applying the word of God in our lives. And he says, you not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What does that mean? Well, this word deceive, it comes from a Greek verb that means to cheat or deceive by false reasoning. It's only used here and in Colossians 2, 4, where it says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. And what he's saying here is don't deceive yourself by thinking that all you have to do is read the word. Don't think that all you have to do is study the word. It's not just reading the word. It's not just studying the word. It's not just marking uh, verses in your Bibles. It's not just putting a check mark showing, hey, I've read the word. It's not just reading or studying or hearing, but it's also doing what it says. 
We deceive ourselves if we think that Bible knowledge is good without doing what it says. We have to actually do what the Word tells us. And we can read this book all day long, and we can gain all the knowledge and insight from it that we possibly can. And it means nothing if we're not going and actually living it out. We have to hear the word, but we have to actually do what it says. Being slow to speak, slow to anger, these are things that the word tells us to do. Putting off sinful desires and moral filth, this is what the world or word tells us to do. We have to actually do what the word tells us to do. Think of what Jesus says in Matthew seven twenty one through 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And he says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We have to not just hear the word, but we actually have to do what the word says. Apply it in our lives. And so James wants to give us a little example of this. He wants to give us a metaphor. How, what is, it, what is this like? Well, he says this. It's like the man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You know, interesting, I was reading a commentary this week about this and one of the things he said is notice that he uses a man as an example here. If a, he says if a woman was looking in the mirror, then they would spend some time, you know, maybe seeing things that they need to... I, I'm repeating what a commentary said, and this is not my words. I just want you to know this. I mean, when I look in the mirror, I just kind of glance, eh, and then move on. But he uses a great metaphor here. It's like this idea of somebody who looks at themselves in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like. And this is especially funny when you think about it in the context of this time period. Mirrors, they would have been hand-sized. They would have been made of polished bronze. If you were wealthy, it would be silver. And if you were really wealthy, then it would be made of gold. There was no glass at this time when James is writing this, and so the reflection probably wouldn't have been very great, but here's the thing. It would have been close to them. It would have been handheld. They would have been able to look at themselves very closely, and so it seems kind of absurd to think that they could look at themselves so closely in these little handheld mirrors, and then as soon as they put it down, forget what they look like. It sounds kind of absurd that we could go and look and stare at a mirror and see our reflection, and as soon as we leave, we, think we can't remember what we look like. We can't remember our features. We can't uh, remember if we, you know, what our hair looks like. We can't remember any of that. It just seems kind of absurd, and yet this is how we live. 
Really, this is how we live because what he's talking about here is the mirror is the word of God. And if you look at the mirror, you look at the word of God and you study the word of God and you read the word of God and you put it or, and you're reading it and you're studying, you're gaining knowledge, you're gaining insight, and then you leave and you forget the word at all. You forget everything you just read. You don't put any of it into practice. That is exactly what James is talking about here. We do this all the time. We read the word we mark our Bibles, and then we go out into our jobs. We go out into our schools. We go out into, uh, you know, different situations that are out in the world, and we just all of a sudden forget everything we've read, and we look no different than the rest of the world. And that's not how it should be. If we walk out into the world and forget everything we've read and we don't apply it to our lives, we are no better than the person who looks at themselves in the mirror and forgets what they look like. And so we need to make sure that we're actually hearing and applying. And then James tells us, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what they do. We need to look intently. What does this phrase mean, look intently? Well, the phrase look intently means to stoop down. It's this idea of stooping down to get a closer look at something. And so we have to get a closer look at the law. And James says, the perfect law. And we might be reading this and we're thinking, the perfect law? Haven't we talked about the law when we've been in you know, Paul's letters? Haven't we talked about the law when we were in the book of Acts? Haven't we talked about the law? The law didn't seem perfect. The law seemed like it was a shackle. The law seemed like it was just filled with problems. And you're saying here that this is a perfect law, James? What do you mean by this? Well, you see, James was a leader at the church in Jerusalem uh, who is writing to a very Jewish audience who knows the law and to believers of Christ. And here's the thing. Even Paul says the law is not the problem. The law is not the, the, the main issue. The problem is, is when we look at the law, our first thought as humans is to want to do opposite of what the law tells us. That seems like us, right? When somebody tells us, no, we want to do the opposite. And the law in itself wasn't the problem. You see, this is the, the Old Testament is interpreted by Jesus along with the gospel teachings of Christ. This is the law that was lived out perfectly in Christ. And this is the law that we find freedom. John 8, 1, or John 8, 31 through 32 tells us to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The law is this law that was lived out by Jesus, that was, you know, fulfilled in Jesus. It's what Jesus is teaching us. If we hold to these things, we'll be blessed in what we do. And this isn't monetary. This isn't health and wealth. I'm not a health and wealth guy, but this is not what he's talking about. No, we'll be blessed in what we do because of everything we're doing, if we're doing it for him, if we're doing it according to the word of God, if we're doing everything to bring him glory, we will be blessed in the things that we do. And then he continues on in verse 26 through 27. He says this, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. 
religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so, he says, those who want to consider themselves religious has to do a few things. One, they have to keep a tight rein on their tongue. Again, back to the tongue, back to speech. And it says you can't consider yourself religious if you can't keep a tight rein on your tongue. And self-control, that's what he's talking about here. We need self-control. We talked a lot about the tongue already, but one of the things I want to talk about now is this idea of self-control. Because he says we need to be slow to speak. It's this idea of self-control. Second Peter 1, 5 through 6 tells us, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness. In Galatians 5, 22 23, we are told that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Enable, if we want to be able to control our tongue, to control the things we say, we have to learn self-control. And it's hard, I know. Trust me, I get it. And I have been trying and trying and trying and trying to practice self-control. It's a difficult thing when you're trying to diet, when you're trying to uh, change the way you live. Self-control is a hard thing, and especially when it comes to controlling our tongue. But we have to exercise self-control when we speak. Then he says, here's the religion that our God accepts. The, The word religion, it appears only five times in the New Testament, and two of those times are right here. You see, God is not worried about religious practices, but what God is worried about is with righteous living. And this manifests itself in two ways. The first thing is to take care of the poor. To take care of the poor. We are to take care of others. And in this time period, the the main idea of poor were the orphans and the widows. And we today are called to take care of those who are in need, to take care of those who are struggling and need help. And one of the things that we do, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, one of the reasons that we take up offering, one of the things that we do with that offering is we give out uh, help with benevolence and we help people who need help. And I tell you, sometimes it's just something so simple as, can you help me with this? And it's exactly what they need to start trying to change their life, just one little thing. And we are called to do that, to take care of the poor, take care of others, 1 John three eleven through 18 reminds us of this. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It's not just saying that we love others. It's showing that we love others by helping others who are in need, our brothers and sisters who are in need. 
And then he says, the second thing is this, we need to keep from being polluted by the world. And here, right here, is one of the biggest reasons we need to take the word of God and do what it says. Because if we don't, there is a good chance that we can become polluted by the things of this world. We are to be pure in this world. We are not seeking security, joy, love, and things of the world, but rather in the word of God. And so, there are some things that happen if we spend our time loving the world, becoming friends with the things of this world. James 4.4 4 tells us this, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You see, we can love others who are not believers, but we need to be careful that we do not become friends with the things of this world because if we do that, we can start to love the things of this world. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And the more that we become friends with the world, the more that we start to love the things of this world, guess what happens? The more we engage in the world, the more often we find ourselves changing our minds and our thinking to form and to conform with the patterns of this world. And Romans 12, 1 through 2 reminds us, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the more we choose to live by the things of this world, the more we fall in love with the things of this world, the more that our mind starts to become conformed to the thoughts of this world. And guess what happens when that takes hold and we forget the word and we start to move away from God and the word? 1 Corinthians 11.32, Nevertheless, when we are judged in the, this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. I don't know about you. I don't want to be condemned with the world. No, I would rather hold to the word of God. Hold to the truth of God's word. And so you see, here it is. It is important that we learn to apply the word in our lives and we may be reading the word. We may be studying the word. You may be going through a reading plan and you may be check marking every day and saying, man, I've read the Bible today. This is really good. But are you actually going out and doing what it says? When you go to work, when you go to school, are you living out the word of God in your life? Do people see the word of God coming out of you? Do they see the word of God in your life? Because it's one thing to read the word of God and to mark our Bibles in the study, but if we're not actually doing what it says, it, be, it becomes meaningless. It becomes meaningless if we choose not to live by it. It's just something else we read to encourage us, lift us up, and that's it. No, we actually have to read the word, study the word, and then do what the word tells us to do. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up, and as they do, here's why I think it's important. Man, because the world we live in today desperately needs to see the word of God. 
the world we live in today desperately needs to see the word of God lived out through us. Man, in our schools, in our jobs, people need to see Jesus in us in the way that we do what the word says. And the sad truth is, is that so many people can't tell us apart from them because we don't actually live it out. And we need to live out the word of God. We need to take the word of God. We need to apply it to our lives and we need to do what it says. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I haven't been living out the word and it's because I've never accepted the word. I've never given my life to Jesus and I need to do that today. And if that's the case, you can fill out your connect card. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, I read my word, the Bible, every single day. But I'm not really living it out the way I should be. I feel like when I go out, people can't tell that I'm living by his word, that I'm trying to do what the word says. And if that's the case, maybe you need to spend some time just laying that before God. And I'd love to pray with you, to talk with you about it, if that's what you need to do this morning. But here's my encouragement. We need to take the word of God that we read, observe it in its context, study it, but then live it. Live it, apply it in our lives each and every day. Each and every day, we need to live it out in the things that we do, in the things that we say, and in the things that we don't say. We need to live it out for him. And so this morning, if you're here, if you have a decision to make, I pray that you do so as we stand and we sing this morning.